Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming back to uh, this episode of Dungeons, Dragons, and Dungeon Masters, episode two. Uh, also, the second chapter of So You Want to Be a Dungeon Master. Uh, some few changes this week. Instead of with Levi, I'm going to be with Jared. Howdy, howdy. Uh, he was actually supposed to be in the first episode with me and Levi, and now Levi's not here, and I'm with Jared, so it's only going to be super confusing for a little bit longer. It's okay. Um, and I do also have a band recording uh, in the background right now. Um, it is a band called Junk Bunny. Uh, you should look them up. They're fucking awesome. Uh, but we are recording for them right now, their new uh, our newest releases that's coming out. So it's going to get a little noisy in the background, but it'll be fine. It's only going to be in the background, and you'll, you'll get over it, as we will, because... Something is better than nothing or whatever. So getting into it, uh, where we left off, we're, we're going to go jump right into what it's like running a session and then planning and running a campaign just to kind of finish off what we talked about. Um, look, there's the band now. Uh, finish what we talked about last week uh, and kind of put a little bow tie on it and kind of set that in stone and say, OK, now you're a little bit ready to start being a dungeon master. Right. So starting with running a session, because at the end of last episode, we uh, did planning a session. Um, get ready to be pooped on, Jared, wouldn't you say? Anything you plan can and will be turned and used against you in every sense of the term possible. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the answer kind of depends on your players, but in all likelihood, yeah, they're going to take your nicely laid plans, and they're going to take a fat shit, and they're going to wipe their ass with those plans, and they're going to set them on fire, and then they're going to do the plans anyway to, to just fuck just you Just to smite end. you. Just to smite you. Yes. Uh, but what we mean more... <laughs> um, it more in this is intentionally or unintentionally you have to be ready to flip a switch at a moment's notice and you, you maybe have to sometimes save that big twist you had planned for a later event um, if you don't think that it'll land quite correctly like in that specific um, session or you know be able to completely flip on oh shit well they just killed that PC that was an important PC well I guess now this next dude is going to have to be important for the same reasons just they don't know that just kind of reskin the PC, you know what I mean? You got to be able to just be like, oh, fuck, that's completely the opposite of what I thought was going to happen. Well, here's this instead. Well, and that's one of the lighter things that can happen. Um, as I've personally been in a campaign where this happened, I may have been one of the players in this said campaign, um, we were supposed to be traveling out of a town to an objective, and uh, we were supposed to go to, like, the west. And just the and generally we, the west. Like, it was an area, like, I don't know, a day's travel to our west. And we got we got a... Uh, you know, we got traveling, and the DM was like, all right, where are y'all headed? And I, we were like, east. We're heading east. And he was like, are you sure? And we're like, yep, we're heading east. And he went, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, we're going the exact opposite direction we were told to. Because he threw fuck a traveling you. wolf uh, travel encounter at us, you know, with just like some wolves on the side of the road. Because he needed time to write a whole new area because we looked at the story objective and we said, let's go the opposite way. You know what looks boring? That. You know what looks <laughs> not boring? Everything unplanned. Our imagination. We. It's, it's because we wrote down that the objective was in the east and not the west oh you actually miswrote the information so you uh, yes he was and like he was just like uh, uh, okay oh all right he, he and was none of us made an intelligence roll so he didn't try and fix it or anything i mean he kind of shot himself in the foot that time though. i mean he did but he he, he is the one that kind of taught me to dm with his he his style was 100 percent sandbox like there was no there was a story, but like if you pushed away from the story at all, he'd be like, all right, what do y'all want to do now? Mm -hmm. Just very catered to the players and what they <coughs> want the world to be. And that's really cool, but that actually segues super well into the next uh, topic is improv, improv, improv. Be able to 
just come up with things off the top of the dome. It doesn't even necessarily mean comedy. You just have to be able to get to the next scene or have the next scene ready if your players don't end up exactly where you thought they were. So you have to find a good segue into what's happening next. More specifically, if you're not like a sandbox player or a DM, even, even, even if you are, you want to have that next scene built and ready for them to play in and not just you know, have exactly what Jared said, have to f- sit in a counter or two their way just so you can write it up. Um, you want to be able to just kind of like have it off the tip of your tongue. And that's going to take time and practice, obviously, but that's just a skill that you want to kind of start building for. Thinking, uh, I think this is a, a quote that I wanted to write down, but thinking is the enemy of, of improv and story progression. You know how your character is, what they would be doing in this situation. You know how they'd be acting. More specifically for you as the DM, you know very well how these characters that you've made, maybe not so much the random orcs that you've you know made your party encounter uh, face but especially in more you know set scenes with npcs that they're talking to you know how these characters would be and you don't necessarily have to read from whatever script or dialogue you can set yourself into that skin and just kind of start thinking of things off the dome and that really makes it more interesting and more real interactions between characters i'd say because especially if you have like that script that you have that you want to say it's going to come off kind of robotic rather than if you just accidentally tell them information that you didn't even know that they would know Right, and I, I agree. Um, you know, I've found that while improv is incredibly important, you have to have a shit ton of improv. That doesn't mean you can just walk up the morning of the session and do it. Like, you have to plan. You do have to have an element of, like, thought into it. Right, you can't just be, okay, here it is. Yeah, right. you have to be chewing on it for like, a little while. For, so for me, when I am having to do encounters on the fly, I, I think of my adventures like a puzzle for me. Um, I have a couple different pieces I have in my box, and I just assemble them as I need. You know, if you guys, if I have this dungeon I want y'all to do, but you guys want to go for the coast instead of the desert, well, I can just reflavor that. Right. You know, a a lot of D&D, you can take your story elements and implement them and kind of flavor them and theme them in different ways while still having that, you know, story you have. So if you have just a small, rigid plot... Just you couple, can improv everything in between. Right, yeah. Just All you need is a couple of bullet points. I've, I've, I've stressed this last episode. Is just Even if it is just like one specific line of dialogue that needs to come across to the party or you know a specific landmark that they come across or what have you, an energy that they feel, and you can fill in the gaps between them. That's all that you really need. So that there are DMs like me, excuse me, where I, I like to have literal pages of what's going on, what the scene looks like, and granted that can kind of be a, a fault sometimes, but you know, that's just how my brain works. I like to have something in case that it's brought up or in case somebody has a question or what have you, but that's great. So have a rough outline of what this uh, session is going to look like uh, for just this session. We'll get into like the campaigns later in this episode, but I talked about this last uh, episode as well. I'm going to, we're going to keep referencing that because they're part of the same series, whatever. Having the seven questions, you know, where they start, where are they going? Why are they want to go, you know, get there? What's their motivation? Are there any consequences? Do they reach their goal? And something else. Uh, It's... That was pretty cool. All right. So have a rough outline of what's going on. You know what I mean? Uh, So have a point A, a point B, a point C. uh, And have that ready to be able to have that, you know, switch flipped. Get your fucking switch flipped, son. You know what I'm saying? Also, you know, know the kind of pacing you want your campaign to have. Like that sick fucking crescendo right there. Mm -hmm. Like, you need to kind of know when you want your players to be you know, on the edge of their seats and when you want them to be a little more relaxed, maybe you're adventuring a little more in awe and then you're in combat and suddenly, you know, it's exciting. Like, it's like music. It can't be just flat. Uh, Have at least something. Uh, (laughs) Something to reference is better than nothing. You can can turn, with those bullet points, you can turn entire, you know, one session into entire campaign. You can start small. You know, maybe that point C that they finished on has a kind of an open ending that you can then tie into another 
person or another organization or plot line or something and then that way you don't have to worry about having these weird like chapters and sections and you know having to fill in the gaps of between the times you play you know sometimes you, you'll have to be like okay well you guys took a week off and now you're over here xyz having your you know your sessions build off of each other rather than trying to build this one big great scene um, I feel like I could take my own advice at this point <laughs> uh, is much easier to do uh, and much smarter to do especially as a beginning dm and coming from nothing rather than you know my situation right <laughs> i don't want to show you know, my cards here as a you know as a newer dm what's an excellent way to practice those improv skills for a session you know correct me if i'm wrong but uh you know one pagers oh so okay yeah you want to talk about one yeah i i really i really want to plug super hard ice robe crab truckers because uh it, it's soup it's big motherfucking crab truckers is what sorry. it's called hold on we have to look up who wrote that shit i've played a lot of good one pagers but that one man it's nice just to kick back with something that you don't take super seriously but at the same time you can take really seriously yeah we gotta gotta shout out big motherfucking crab truckers really fast uh it's it's a it's written by miles and mailbox uh, all you have to do is Google big motherfucking crab truckers, and it's the first link up at the top. It's a They're called one-page RPGs, and it's the entire system, the entire lore, the entire, like, everything you do fits onto one, like, letter sheet of paper. Like, there are contests that go about who can write the best one, and this is something that we do periodically to just kind of get off of the 5e train for a little bit, kind of, you know, stretch our limbs a little bit, be extra goofy or be... You know, uh, you know, a certain way. I, I had one that I wanted to play. It's called Everyone is John. Um, it's a competitive tabletop RPG where you all kind of compete over one person and you're all like voices in a dude's head. I don't remember what, how we got onto this topic, but Big Motherfucking Crab Truckers is cool. Thank you, Miles. It's nice to have something to just kind of have fun with and not have characters that you have to be, uh, you know, 100% serious about. And it's an excellent creative exercise. Let's get into uh, the big one, which <laughs> is going to be railroading. And woo woo. Okay, so railroading is 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 a is a hard thing to pin down because I mean, you sometimes sometimes you have to sometimes you just have to sit the party down and be like, look, this is what happened. This is what's happening. You know, it can't all be just giggle shits and fuckwads all the time. You know, if it is that, and I, I don't even mean railroading as in the sense of like you put them in a place and you don't really give them a choice. I guess I mean more in just the the sense of like. I guess I do. I guess I do kind of mean that, actually, not to contradict myself, but they kind of have. It's a little bit of both. You have to make sure that your your players have to be okay with being placed in specific spots for specific reasons. You know what I mean? Even if they don't think that their characters would play like that. Agree or disagree? Feedback to me. I do agree that I I think players need to be railroaded sometimes. Fucking rail your players. See, I'm I very much like to let the scenes happen organically. Um, yes, but. If I've set up like a cinematic moment, and that's one of my bullet points, and I don't make many bullet points, right? And that's that's what I. Um, mean. If it's one of my bullet points, and like, yeah, I need it to go a certain way, or we cannot do things. I'll modify it and stretch it as far as I can it, for what the players are doing. But if they're just like, no, I eat the reality altering brick, <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly something our current party would do. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that. I'm sorry, Tragdor. Fucking put it down. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> especially if you have like a wild ass party, they have to be okay with. Look, guys, you brought this. Like for example, they have a, access to a very powerful wind crystal, and we ended the session with them in possession of the wind crystal, and we started the next session with the crystal securely locked up on the ship while everybody was in front of it. And that technically is railroading because I didn't give them the choice of what they wanted to do with the crystal in between the end of the last session and the start of the next. 
but they were all okay with it because it was something that their characters would do. You know, it, it is something that a fucking like-minded adventurer would take the thing that they were adventuring for and take it back and bring it to a safe spot and not be like, okay, now I'm going to go fly to the sun like Icarus, you know? Yeah, so there's there's this thing called uh, the Henderson scale of plot derailment, right? It's on oh, 1D4chan. Okay, and I had no idea this anything exists. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's this really... I mean, it's an old green text. It was really good. Uh, it's actually not like a bad one. It's oh, actually okay. like good. It's a good green text. The yes, few they, of those exist. It's it's one of the unicorns. Let me fucking tell you. Um, basically, it's a long story short. There's a scale of like plot derailment. Like one Henderson, like is enough to end the campaign on the spot. It's done. Oh, it's uh, it's kind of like the Kuehl theory almost. Like how many um, Kuehls away from reality like, you are. Like a, a, a two, like if you're a, a two on the Henderson scale, the planet that the campaign took place on is is gone. It's done. It's gone. Oh, okay. So like that a, th- kind of a three is like the solar system gone. Something something fucked up. Jesus. Four is like the human race. It never existed. If I remember correctly, I, I could pull this up, but it's it's basically increasing magnitudes of campaign ending. And I will allow up to a two. How much derailment are you <coughs> willing to accept? And what do you consider derailment? Especially you as like a sandbox DM. How far does a player have to push before it's considered derailment? If you specifically go towards every plot hook I give you for your differing tastes. And then you go, nah, fuck that. Nah, fuck that. Nah, fuck that. I say, nah, you're doing that. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly, exactly. See, and that's... I'm, I, you, you get, like, you can have you can have forks with me. You can, like, maybe maybe three paths top. You start asking for, like, a, a shit ton. Like, come on. Like, I'm only one person. I'm going to write you the thing. Yeah, and that's yeah, my g- thing, g- too. Give me, if y'all want a theme, give me the theme. Let's get on it. You're really good at... I guess... The, I, I, something I haven't... I guess I've never said before, but you're really good at, like, running a Dungeons & Dragons game. I'm really good at writing a story. That yes. just so happens to take place in the 5e universe where my players... Yes, we're going to keep alternating we're Sundays until one day we co-DM a game and it's, it, it's going to be... It's going to be good. We, we did it once and it was pretty cool, but we got we to gotta find a better, better way to do it. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, back to railroading. Uh, so your, your players have to be okay with a little bit, right? They, you have to, they have to be okay with you kind of setting the scene, you know, especially for this kind of specific uh, wheelhouse where in your first time DMing, your players, especially if they are new themselves, have to be okay with, okay, we'll know this is going to happen. That way we can play it out from here and just kind of build from baby steps, you know, and then in no time you're going to start making scenes without even realizing it. And you're going to start building empires and destroying them without even realizing it. Next would be role-playing hundreds of characters. And I say hundreds, it's not going to be hundreds your first session, obviously, but role-playing a bunch of different characters can be really, really tricky. Yes? Yeah. Um, It definitely can because you're like, Oh boy! All right, where are they? Uh, if, if these players are a stickler for things being risked, you're like, uh, okay, who lives in this town? What part of the world were you in? You know, oh, blimey! They've got accents that sound like this. And then further down south, they all sound like this. Occasionally, they sound like this, <laughs> but that's not very common. Oh, <laughs> I, I so apologize to all of the Germans. Just everybody that we just kind of insulted there. Uh, much apologies. But <laughs> back. So y- you have to make a clear list of differences and like give the wacky kind of things like someone has a lisp and maybe someone else has really long hair. Like these these characters, it doesn't even have to surmount to voices. It can be um, like body language or how 
they hold themselves or how they interact with the world around them, what they look like, what they're wearing, like the give them something for your players to latch onto to remember them by because the names and your the voices most of the time isn't going to be enough because eventually after so many voices, after so many things, especially in one session, they're all going to fucking sound the same. You know, and that's after I start losing a voice the second or third time, I just give up on it until I'm ready to attack it again. You know, so that's I'll reference them, uh, you know, as Anthony as the green haired man because he has green hair or Sarah as the halfling because she's really fucking short compared to you guys, you know, and the sea bots as robots. So it's, it's very like pick one or two different traits for these characters for your uh pcs for your party to kind of like pick apart it doesn't have to be a voice you'll have to make because that's just gonna hurt your voice and make everybody super confused especially if every single person you want to sound is gonna sound extremely different you're just gonna throw your vocal cords out especially if you're not like a professional voice actor or whatever and if you are matt mercer why are you listening to my podcast you're better than me i mean if you're developing a bunch of npcs you know, it's always fun, especially in a TV show when you get recurring side characters. Uh, one, that's a way to easily bring in somebody new. Yeah. Yeah. Just if spice them in there. Make them deal with the same characters all the time. Make them like those characters and they'll forget to start talking to other characters and it'll be way easier. I had a DM one time who got so tired of coming up with names. It just got to the point where uh, like we would go find a random NPC be like, all right, what's their name? And he'd be like, he'd make the player that wanted to go talk to the NPC do it. Ah, he'd see, be I like, all right, what's their name? Yeah. You and then he'd come up with them on the spot. Right. That's a good way to do it. Yeah, just if you're, it, make your, make your players build the world just as much as you do. Yeah, you know that's that's always my style of DMing. We're writing a storybook together. They're not mm. listening to an audiobook. No. I have the plot. They're filling in the filler words because exactly. that's the boring part. Yeah, and that's I see. I try and do much the same thing, except I have more of an idea of where I want those points to be. I guess, and like I guess I do. I guess I'm I'm, I'm realizing this now over the last couple. I guess I do railroad my party pretty hard a lot of the time. Yeah, but God you're, you're trying to tell the story. God damn it! <laughs> hey man, we. <laughs> You ever watch someone have an epiphany? <laughs> as they're as they're doing it. Sorry, an epiphone. An e- <laughs> no, I prefer Rick Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into uh, being a sneaky boy with your rolls. This means more than just your dice rolling, because your players are going to have the trope of wanting to call you out, or when they feel something is portrayed unfairly, right? So if if you're if you do play by the dice rules, right, and they do your enemies do crit your players three times in a row, sometimes they're going to be like, "Yo, dude." What the fuck? Show us your dice. And uh, or, or if you are, you know, the, just the, like they're going to just hide your dice, bro. <laughs> I don't yeah, it's I'm, I'm sorry. It, it's like in real life. You don't get to see the math of how fast your car is going. You just know cargo fast, cargo fast. And you you are the calculator and the, the, the overall ruler of this planet. You are God. Yes. Don't let it go to your head or to your God complex too much, even though we all feel it. But you are God. Uh, to, to some extent, like you owe no explanation to your players because they're nosy bitches, you know, <laughs> like it, it, they should trust you. And but at the same time, you should give them all the reason to trust you. You know what I mean? Don't be an asshole and don't be unfair. Really, what we're saying is use use your role fudging sparingly if you are going to fudge roles. Right. Um, I, I would say, I mean, it's if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But don't ignore its utility as a tool in the DM's toolbox. You, right. Okay, actually, I think that's going to be our next one. Um, so keep your <laughs> poker face and assure that them everything was planned all along. You had this You had this planned all along. Even though you have one sticky note that just says, 
goblins. Yeah, um, can, can we call you out for the purposes of entertainment? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Um, when we were sitting here talking <laughs> about your ideas for the <laughs> session the next day, and, you and I like, said, yo, dude, the world is your sandbox. Throw a sky whale at them. And you threw a sky shark at us it's literally the next night. Thank you. It's called a drark. Look, man, I, I have... So, uh, so I have... Uh, fine, we'll crack open the personal shell a little bit. I, uh, I've i been wanting to practice my improv skills a lot more because, as I've said previously, I've had this kind of habit of railroading my players and giving them like these scenes that I have set for them rather than letting them wander into the scenes themselves. So I've been trying to allow my players to do just that, uh, and they don't. They just sit there like fucking sheep, and they don't know what to do with all of this freedom. So then I inevitably have to end up fucking shepherding them into the next room anyway, just like what happened at yesterday's dungeon. Like, did we not have like five or six times where I was like, okay, what are you guys doing? And nobody said a goddamn word. Yeah. yeah. So they're fucking half-minded sometimes, especially towards the end of the night. It's like, okay, guys, you're, you're going to end up here. And everyone's like, yeah, we're going to end up over there. So I just fucking do it, right? So just... Just keep keep your poker face. Don't let them I know mean, that I it's don't. all fucking made up. Don't let and, and if it's not awesome, keep that poker face even stronger. Yeah. So hide your rolls, kids, because you play as assholes. Okay, yeah. Uh, but do keep it honest, but not, you know, too honest. Uh, like, if if you're but like like for example, if your party is mowing down the boss, the, the the big hard boss at the end of the dungeon, don't be afraid to just fucking double its health out of nowhere. Don't you? They don't know the number. They don't know anything. They just know by the cues and the hints that you're giving them normally everybody says, you know, how uh, do they look? How bad off do they look? Are they bloody, very bloody, weak, you know, X, Y, Z? How close off to, you know, killing over are they? Um, but you're never really going to give them, okay, well, they're at 75 out of 150 HP now, guys, and then you have to worry about doubling that later. Like, no, they're never going to know that. So if you realize in the first two attacks that these dudes are going to knock this guy out in four punches, you might want to do something about that health and twist it around, you know? So you you don't fucking quadruple it and make it damn near impossible and make them fight this thing for six hours because you messed up a little bit, but also... A health potion appearing in their hand and them suddenly being way, you know, healthier again or getting possessed by some sort of demon and growing spikes and getting way tougher on the party because you didn't realize the CR of this encounter does not match the party. Right, right. Because the math gets a little fucky when you differ from the rules even a little bit. Yeah. If you don't have a four-person party, CR does not... I mean, it, it matters. Use it for reference, but it is not accurate unless mm. you have four players who are not multi-classing and not in the advanced books. <laughs> uh, getting back to our main point yeah, of this hang, is actually we could go on all day. Yeah, the, to, 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 to wrap up our sloppily, very sloppily put together how to run a session, I'm very sorry about this. Um, uh, your bad guys have magic too. Uh, this is something that Levi actually kind of <laughs> broke out into Jared and I's mind that we kind of just never thought about before. But uh, you're, y- this this world is magic, right? If your players can be magic, so can your enemies. So uh, there was there's a bunch of memes online on Reddit and stuff like that. That's like uh, uh, I use counter spell to disband my party's healing spells and my cleric healing spell. And that's like that's that's fucking genius, bro. Like just. Do, like make your cleric useless for two rounds. Just fuck right. Him. But al- him. Now also remember, uh, you can magic can be used against fighters the same. Shield exists for enemies too. Yeah. Throw yourself five more AC. Mm-hmm. Give yourself resistance against magic missiles. Suddenly there's a lot less utility that can be thrown against you. Right. That wizard loses shit. Your you know your bard or your rogue. Your enemies can get tougher magically. They can be cast on. They can be buffed. Throw buffing magical enemies and give the enemy a wizard. Yeah, give give the enemy a, a summoner. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. And I do this occasionally. 
sometimes if you want to throw a boss that is going to be correct kind of crunch for your players roll up a player character that's their level mm-hmm. I, I yeah we, we've talked about this too it's just like fucking use a pc against a pc and see how well they do yeah but then give that pc if they're a big boss give them a legendary action which you can use on bosses by the way yeah for these magical bosses or just any boss uh give them x many charges to give themselves an extra uh blah extra action during a turn they're bosses bosses do cool things saying the bad guys have magic too that goes kind of further beyond combat meaning your enemies and uh, all your bbeg like these guys have just as much power and pull if not more in this world that your players do you know they have connections and reputations and things to uphold and what have you you have to make your players feel like these other factions, these people, your BBEG, whatever, are making decisions even when they aren't around. They're making decisions for themselves or their plans or what have you, even when the party's not paying attention. So if they stay stand, if they stand still for a second, it doesn't matter. The world's going to change, right? It's not just them moving in the world that has changed. Right, which is also why they should not become murder hobos because the world doesn't like murder hobos. But now we're going to get into actually planning an entire fucking campaign multiple sessions multiple ideas multiple story threads multiple different like arcs kind of coming at you um and this is just going to be a a ragtag put together kind of list um and we're going to try and go through it the best that we can a little bit better than uh than the fucking last one don't worry uh so a a good place to start well so one thing that i think segues into this is from your session zero not even your session one your session zero your story, your campaign is being written on two separate tracks. You've got what you're writing, and you've got what the party's doing within that. And that's becoming part of the story, which, so, for instance, you know, you can ask the party in session zero, all right, why are y'all together? You can come up with a reason yourself. You can let them do it. You can find anywhere, any way to do that in between. But giving the players a stake in the story makes it a little more meaningful. And it lets you kind of tailor your campaign to what your players are wanting and keep it, you know, what you want at the same time. Right. Yeah. So I think Session Zero is a good, an amazing place to start. Um, We talked about this last week as well. Uh, It's the place where you don't actually play the game. You sit and talk about your characters and the story and the DM and all the players get together and you kind of just hash things out. Um, And that that's beautiful. What I like to do generally now that when I start campaigns or games or whatever, I like to have like about a week backstory from each character like why are you in this like i i give them you are all starting here like this is your starting point you're all together around a table at an inn or what the fuck ever you know um but how did you get there why are you here i leave i leave all of that blank for my you know my my party to and players to fill in that way like you said they have a stake in the story and they have a reason and usually at ses- session zero that's when i get all that information that way by the end of session one all of that has come to kind of like fruition and we've kind of seen that throughout session one and like all of those stories kind of are entered into the story uh, that we, that we're playing and you know, right off the get go, they have a stake in it. You know, I was here for a reason and I saw this thing happen or, you know, anything that happened, you know, whatever you choose to do, they have that like connection to it. Additionally, you know, maybe slightly off topic on this, but you know, from a DM's perspective, a session zero is a great opportunity to see how the party's going to work together. Oh, yeah. And, chemistry. you know, if you find that someone's not, you know, fitting in or, you know, the party isn't really vibing with them, you're going to find out at that session zero. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that, that's going to be it's, it's a great way to figure out who's going to be the, the pain in your ass right off the bat, because there is always one. Whether it's a big pain in the ass or a small pain in the ass, there's always that one character. 
Uh, and figuring out why your players are together is a great way to kind of create your first like story as well. Um, it's a, it's a, a really simple pro like thing for me, just like you have this band of random adventurers and then it comes to find out that they're not so random. They were all supposed to meet after it all. And you know, it all comes full, full circle. Like that's a really easy trope to kind of follow and stuff, especially for a first time DM, just having the party meet each other. And that kind of is the campaign. Like that's, that's a great way to, to do it. But um, if you don't want to, you know, do that. You you should look into quest givers, and uh, patrons, and a, a way for the, your adventuring party to not necessarily have to go out and seek out their own adventures. They can go to a quest board, or they can go to a person, or they're hired from, you know, a local. They're mercenaries or what have you. You know, g have something readily available to ha give them challenges to conquer. Right, and you know, especially as a sandbox DM, sometimes you have to you have to kind of video gamify it by you know adding. You know, oh, we're going to check out the quest board. Hey, this guy looks like he wants to say something to you. You should probably go walk over to him and mm -hmm. see what's up. If your party is more nomadic and they like to travel, that can kind of be a system of uh, quest boards or like mercenary companies. They go from town to town. They get hired by the locals. You know, they become um, privateers or what have you. Right. Uh, on the land, not, or, or on the sea too, I guess. You know, if or, or the sky. Don't discriminate against the sky pirates. The sky pirates as well. Absolutely. I was going to say, then you have, you know, a more centralized sort of adventuring sort of deal um like you've ran with the keepers and plenty of other people do you know you have a centralized organization like the, you know for example the justice league and you've got your your heroes you've got your players and they go you know do missions and they and go and do stuff yeah that's that's actually the knack that i found works best for our table and our party because that's that's what i've done with the keepers and uh that's pretty much what's inevitably going to end up happening no spoilers here uh, so, and that, but that's kind of what you guys have all but flat out told me that you want is just, you know, have a place to be, give us a, a handful of missions. We're going to pick what we want to do and then we're going to go and do it. You know what I mean? And that works fucking amazing. Don't, don't sleep on that for a little bit. Try try everything out. Try every possible way you can to get a mission across your players noses and see what they pick up on best. So maybe a session you you know, have them talk to a few people and that's how they get quests. And then like Jer what Jared said, the next session, they st they're, in, they're in a forest and they stumble upon something and they start finding clues and it's a murder mystery or, you know, whatever it leads them into a dungeon. Who cares? Uh, but always have a way to have a quest be given to your party. You know, never, I would say, or not even a quest, you know, I'm, I'm, we're using the word quest and mission kind of loosely here, but just something, a challenge, you know, never let them be with nothing. Players are fickle and players get bored. Much as DMs get bored. So have new stuff. Try new, you know, give them something to chew on. Keep them interested. You know, if you can't make it different, uh, you know, change the pacing or the difficulty of it. You know, maybe, I don't know. It You, you, you have to kind of shake something up. People don't want to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over. You can't just have a bunch of collect missions, like go out and collect this item or go out and kill this person and collect this thing or... You have to add some spice. Right, what am it. I? What am I? A museum collector man? All right, let's get into building your BBEG and your BB and or BBEO, uh, Big Bad Evil Organization. Just everyone knows what that stands for. That stands for Big Booty Evil Guy. A big Booty, Big Bad Evil Guy. Every campaign kind of has one of these. It's the big, the big one. It's the big Kahuna, the big fish, the big, the big idea. It doesn't necessarily have to mean a person or even an organization. You know, it can. It can be. It very, it very much is for a lot of people. And, you know, you have a big final boss and this person that's been doing all of these things. But 
um, you have to you have to start small. Like who, what, where, when, why, how? Like all of those things. What you know? Where did they get the source of power? Why do they hate this thing? What happened to them? What will they gain from these experiences? Like you have to literally, you're writing a person, and then you have to make that person usually super angry at the world or sadistic or you know believe in something in a, such a way or in so hard that they want to change the world destroy the world do this thing to this thing for whatever reason yeah but now when, when you're saying that you know some of the most evil and scary people or and you know entities they're not over the top like that and sometimes i find that not going so extreme with it lets you have much more believable villains and you can really get people into the campaign that way absolutely no i don't even mean <coughs> over the top and i guess i kind of did like pigeon my missile pigeonhole myself into thinking that was saying destroy the world but like yeah having somebody who just who who who's almost right having a having an enemy who's like oh wait i kind of agree with that what the fuck is super good but in, you have to learn how to build a bbeg before you can get to something like that right before right. you can really nail that that across so like I said, start small. What do they want right now? And what will they gain from that in this session, in this immediate, not necessarily session, but in this immediate interaction with this BBEG? Right. If we're going to go ahead and go down the, the evil guy route, like what are they doing and what are they going to gain from that right now? And then from there, after that session happens and after that thing unfolds, however it may unfold, you can start getting into deeper questions like, okay, what are they going to get from that you know newly gained or lost thing? Is it going to be ultimate power? Do they want revenge? And how eventually will that tie into the story? So the uh, yeah, like start small and like they they kind of start almost as a like a, a non-threat almost like a lot of BBEGs will start as something they either beat once or twice and then don't think about until they realize, Oh wait, that we probably should have killed them when we had the chance or like, they're just like, okay, well that dude's crazy. We took care of him. Moving on to the next thing. Um, I think I just said the same thing twice, but moving into world building and building the entire planet anywhere and everywhere that your players may go, can go. This is, or I will say anything that's going to be encapsulated in your campaign. You know, you can build a whole world and only one of the continents is ever seen. You know, don't worry about building the entire fucking planet right now. Just build as much as you can where the players are going to be in the immediate vicinity where they're going to be. Yeah. If, you know, if you're a newer DM and you feel that that is overwhelming, you know, uh, D and D, you know, Wizards of the Coast has an existing setting. You know, they have settings for Dungeons and Dragons that are already written out. If you're not feeling like creating that, you can always adapt that. Or you know, there's plenty of people that put ideas out there online. Um, but if you are someone that wants to kind of you know create your own world from the ground up, you know, I've seen people go as advanced as you know making maps and you know writing out the countries and things like that. You know, I've seen people do something as simple as, hey, here's the valley you're in. This is, to the, you know, what's the north of the valley, what's south, what's east, what's west, and that's what you got. And this can go more than just, like, maps and the physical things that your players are seeing. You know, that's you're, you're building a party, a party. You're building a story together. You know, you're working together to build this living, breathing world that you're all, like, existing in, right? And you, I feel like asking your party a few basic questions on, like, where they're from, how their tribes or cities interacted, like giving them that kind of creative freedom will one help their characters come from a more natural place and two kind of cheat codes, man. It gives you 
a thing to build up. Yeah, right? So if yeah. they say they're from a magical city where only <coughs> elves live, then bam, that city's right fucking there. And I already have a city where all magical elves live. And then you could just start tying shit into that. Like, your player just gave that to you. And you can put it and do what the fuck ever you want with it, however you want with it. And with without, like, your super restraining details on what you're writing yourself, because, you know, you only have your your perspective, right? You can start to like branch out in, uh, in ways that you know you didn't think possible because now you're, you're starting to have like all of the ideas from your table coming from your players into like the world that you're starting to build right you know and some players you know they're pretty upfront. you know hey i want to play a character this way you know you figure out okay do you want them like fit in you want them to be a bit of an outsider and you you know kind of find your pacing from there you know, in setting the the scene. Right. And we're not saying, you know, write fucking Lord of the Rings or anything like that, but you can definitely tell players can definitely tell when characters or events um, that happen in the world, like that really wouldn't happen in the world or things that really shouldn't be there. Something will stick out like a sore thumb. If it, I, I mean, that's really just it. Like if, if something sticks out, your players are going to notice. Absolutely. So it's best to stay, not even stay within the confines, but, I guess allow your players to build along with you, you know, that way everybody gets a sense of creativity and it may not seem like that thing is so out of place, like that sore thumb, like we were talking about. Right. But don't, don't be afraid, you know, you're the DM, you've been writing the story. Don't be afraid to insist on one or two themes, you know, being a part of it. You know, you're still writing it. You still have part of that say, but make sure there's a good balance. Right. Right. So what do you mean by themes? You know, like if, uh, take my session, you guys all really leaned into the pirate theme really heavily. Mm. And, you know, I, I gave that as an option, so we're going to go that way. But, you know, maybe in a later part of the campaign, there's some stuff that I want to, you know, get down in there, have it go a certain way. That's definitely what I'm going to throw you. in there. Yeah, right. and that's that's what that's part of the world that's going to be built. I got you. Right. You, you know, like we were saying earlier about needing to change stuff up, you know, if, if you're running a, a zombie game, that's really fun, but there has to be more than just... You know, I fight zombies. And the bodies are coming up from the graves like ants escaping from a colony as the thunder and the lightning pours from above you and the wet loosens your grip on your weapons and you kill your friends. Now, why can't you DM like that every Sunday? I don't know, man. It just fucking, it just comes out sometimes. You know, like we said earlier, don't, you don't have to go too heavy on the world building, but you need to come up with something. If the players just realize it's a blank space that they're fighting in, they're not going to connect to it. They want to, they want to feel it. You know, it's, it's part of it's partly their creation as well. Their actions are influencing it. It's kind of a fun thing to see grow. Oh, happen. absolutely, yeah. And that's leaving your your players' consequences <clears throat> as a mark on the world is something to never be like slept on. So you, you know, like if a player's literally destroy a city, that city's gone. It's never going to be built like that ever again. Right, and yeah. that leads us into the consequence tracker, which leads us to. Uh, funnily enough, the next point will tie mm. in perfectly. Right. Uh, the plot line, you know, you, you're writing out this plot. And as we said earlier, you know, you have to have this spine to a story mm. to have some cohesiveness. But like we said, the meat in between is all the players. It's all the meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes. Yeah, and, uh, right. well, when the players fuck up, when they, when they make one of them, one of them fucky wuckies in the uh oh zone. They don't gotta, they gotta, they don't gotta get in the forever box this time, but. No. You do jot that shit down. If you murder a shopkeeper, the guards probably won't like that. That goes on the consequence mm-hmm. tracker. If you keep stealing from people, that goes on the consequence tracker. If you start eating things... Thank you, James. ...that are alive... Thank you, James. 
even outside of some unobjective karma system or you know if you're a paladin and you have a deity watching you um there's consequences and it's just good to like know like and have a like a list of overall like how your party acts you know and it can be a good thing too like jared just listed a bunch of negatives but you know say the party stops to help a you know a hurt child on the side of the road or they give some of their funds to a charity or you know whatever whatever good thing they did if they help save a city from an oncoming attack you know the, the king holds a feast for them and for the next week gives them a weekly wager whatever we right. talked about that last week um, these are these are good things that can happen as well. Usually it's bad though, and that's when it. And that's what I like to kind of play into because you know you can really uh, good moments only last for so long, but bad moments moments last forever. No, but I mean, I would actually say after saying what I first said, I agree with what you said. Like, don't don't let all of my examples sound too negative. You know, if you take out the bandits that keep raiding the road, that town's gonna do better. That town does better. They like you more. Mm-hmm. You know, Gives if you, you if you go whatever. sell your whole cart of weapons to that town only and not just piece it out. Well, later in the game, when a big boss decides to attack you in that town, their guards are going to be a lot tougher than they originally were going to be. Because and you, you know, yeah. tie in practical things like that. Right, and you want to make sure that it all like roots itself into reality too. You know, you can't like, oh, you killed this man, so you're going to get hit with a meteor. Like that's fucking stupid. You right. Know? Make it make it realistic and make it all circle back in a realistic way. But definitely do track what your players are doing and how they're interacting with your world. That way you can make the world interact with them in much the same way. Right. Just like we were saying earlier, you know, the world has to hold the players a little bit for them to want to put a bunch of work into it. If you want them to really make that story rich and interesting, you got to give them something to work with. They got to have Play-Doh to shape it. Right. Exactly. And that segues perfectly into the plot line, which would be the spine or the Play-Doh that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, And we've stated several times at this point, the bare minimum is to have a bulleted list of plot points that you can use to tie the campaign together in a cohesive manner. Uh, Forget having a plan for every second, for every major event, or for all the scenes. It's never going to happen. Like we said before, you're never going to be able to plan for everything. But you you do want the the big parts, the big, like, cutscenes, if you will. And then you can worry about all the small little details later. You know, that, that one big cutscene can be the beginning, middle, and the end of the session. It doesn't even have to be a cutscene in the dungeon or anything like that. Um, it's just big focal points that will turn the campaign a certain way. Um, or do what I do and write pages and pages and pages because you just simply like to write and you can see the scene playing out, you know? Yeah, and um, one thing Donovan does that I think is actually a good practice and I'm going to start trying to do, I keep he keeps a document open of those plot points and he writes out how the players act in between them in a document the whole time that like we're playing. And I mean most of the sometimes I don't be yeah. <clears throat> the point is like I write things down on my character sheet to remember like the little quotes and you know little plot points but you have the ability to write down the whole story and I did that as my character in the last campaign that we did. Ah Davis. Yeah, uh uh and I, I, I stand by it as a legitimate way of playing Bard. You don't have to sing or play an instrument. If you write down an epic poem of the whole session and then you start using that, like using a line or two from that as your spells, your DM loves it. Oh, dude, it's fucking awesome, bro. It's great. Like that was. Also, we have the whole session now like immortalized, mm-hmm. like immortalized on paper. I mean, as long as that paper lasts. Yeah, I mean, I think it was I think it was two or three sessions. Three, three or four sessions, actually. Uh, it was like eight or ten, dude. Was it really? Yeah. Holy shit. Their papers are somewhere. Just like a movie, there's a lot that goes on. Uh, you're going to have a lot of scenes, a lot of stories, a lot of characters, a lot of lives, a lot of reasons to do things, but you really only need to focus on one or two at a time. 
Like give don't don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't try and tie a million knots together into one uh, a big thing. You know you want to just just piece it off. Things will be there whenever you get to them. You know what I mean. Nothing's going anywhere. Again, this is a world that you've built, um, and you don't you know oh shit to anybody, and you can do whatever you want. But like, so focus on the thread, right? The thread that you're trying to weave, and then the smaller ones that'll that'll come off that look like they're there to stay, then you can start worrying about those and then start trying to tie those off. And right. then when you get more comfortable with your world and with your characters and you really, really, really do know how this fucking thing is going to end, that's when you can start like tying knots together. But I would say, I mean, that's a good practice too. Until you have like a really solid, like this is how this shit's going to end. And I know it for fact. Don't really worry about tying in b plots or c plots or d plots or anything like that you know of course kind of worry about your characters backstories if you can and kind of work it into the main plot line or whatever keep it interesting for everybody but having you know one organization over here and then another organization over here and of course you can't forget about that town that did that one thing that one time and it's like no you don't you don't have to worry about that all that like people forget and it's natural to forget things and it's whatever to be honest with you it's the big the big kahuna the big point the big story that you're trying to get across that matters you know you don't want to get lost in all of the 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 sauce of the other bullshit that you've created and again you don't want to necessarily look over it either because that is the whole point of the game is to create that magical fantasy bullshit but you don't also want to be like caught up in a tangled mess of wait, that person I thought said this and I thought they did that. And I, I thought we were supposed to be going here for this reason. No, I thought we were supposed to be going that. But like, you don't, you don't want that. You right. want everybody to be on the same page at the very least of like, okay, now we killed the Goblin King and then we're going to go steal the crown and then we're going to go throw over to the city. Like you, everybody, you should keep everybody on the same, you know, <clears throat> bullet point at the very least. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, writing a, cam- writing a campaign is a lot like weaving a tapestry. You got to take all these little threads and you got to stick them together and you're kind of painting the picture as you go. As you go. Uh, and I think with that, we have, we have shot well over our hour mark, which is actually fantastic. I didn't think we were going to make it this far. Um, but that's Whoa. fucking awesome. I want to I say thank you to everybody who sat through with this one. I know this one was really weird. And at the beginning there, we had a lot of background noise. Um, <clears throat> again, I'm sorry about that. I want to say thank you to Jared for helping me pull this shit out. <clears throat> Excuse me last minute because uh levi and i scheduling was just super weird this week um one big thing i do want to touch on before uh before we go uh kind of touching on that a little bit the way that the schedules are going to be we're going to have to move dungeons and dragons and dungeon masters to an every other week schedule um for the foreseeable future just simply because it's it's just kind of too much to try and put all of these things out uh week after week after week after week uh especially with uh, Levi is going to be starting a new job. I have now have, you know, uh, abandoned my house recording throughout the week and it's going to get hard to record. And I hope you all can understand that. And I'm very sorry. I know we, we kind of shot for that whole, uh, you know, every week thing. But like we said in the last episode, sometimes you try for it, you realize that you're not going to be able to do it. And for your own sanity and for your own just mental health, you have to just kind of take a step back. And that's what we're doing. So I hope you all can understand that. But again, I do want to say thank you to everybody who sat through this hour long um, kind of, you know, Modge Podge of Jared and I just kind of mowing through a list that he didn't even help create. So, <laughs> un- uh, uh, until until next week, my fellow nerds. Do you have anything else to say, Jared? I'm running out of steam here. Um, you know, I hope this was a pretty comprehensive guide. I hope that this helps someone get better at DMing. Uh, From also, me to you. Also, you left your lights on <laughs> with your uh, 1985 Ford Bronco. Hey, dude, your car's being towed. Mm-hmm.